0: Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the Wellness Manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR. And I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I am here with Dave Juan, the budget captain. Dave, welcome to Emotion Well.
1: Hey, thanks. uh, Thanks for having me here, Joanna. Really excited.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have a conversation with you about kind of the psychology behind money and spending and saving. And so go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners, um, sharing as much or as little as you'd like.
1: Yeah, so my name is Dave Wan. I am the founder and CEO of Budget Captain. We are a corporate financial wellness company providing holistic financial wellness to corporations so they could pass it on to their workforce. As you know, Americans are stressed about money, and so they tend to bring their stress from home to work with them. And so we try to solve that problem by providing them a holistic approach to money, so that way they can decrease that stress, which in turn will allow them to be more productive, higher performing, and more engaged at work.
0: Excellent. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but let's start more with you. And I'm curious to know... Um, mostly kind of how you became attracted to this line of work. And so let's go back to your, your younger days as a kid. Do you have any early memories of spending money, saving money, your attitude around money or your family's attitude around money?
1: Yeah. So both my mom and dad were immigrants of South Korea and probably similar to a lot of similar stories of immigrants coming from a different country to America uh, they struggle a lot, right? Cultural differences, language barriers, all the above, and my parents definitely were were part of that group. They we struggled a ton, um, and I just remember my my parents just having lots of disagreements when it came to like a lot of stuff in life. Uh, one of them including money, and um, so my earliest experiences were a, a lot of disagreements, not being on the same page when it came to money, and. Um, I later learned that those disagreements and those the same disposition and behaviors carry over into other areas in life as well.
0: Yeah. So can you explain a little bit about how, you know, I know just from following you on LinkedIn and we've had coffee, um, you'd really do believe that a lot of, you know, our beliefs about money and our habits around money, whether it's spending or saving, are rooted, you know, pretty deeply in something that maybe happened during during the childhood years, or maybe even the teenage years. And can you go into a little bit about why you believe that, or, you know, maybe give examples from your own life or maybe, you know, an example of someone you've worked with, you know, don't name the person, but you know how that can kind of go back to your roots.
1: Yeah. So between the ages of zero and seven, that's when um, a child's brain is the most formative and their brains are like sponges and is going a million miles an hour trying to absorb so much information. And so whether your parents did talk about money or not, I think is, is important, but it goes deeper than that. I think um, lots of trauma, childhood experiences, um, influences that you've had in that stage of period of life. And sometimes even Even like your perception of certain things, even if it's true or not. So for example, if your mom or dad said something to you, but you as a child with your limited brain capacity perceived it a certain way and perceived it as hurt on you and you're trying to protect yourself because of that, Mm -hmm. that protective mechanism, that defensive mechanism, um, even though it had nothing to do with money, will carry over into adulthood, and that same behavior can manifest itself when it comes to money. A fascinating study, actually, in 2013, Cambridge University, a, a bunch of behavioral uh, scientists got together, and and uh, they came. They did a lot of studies, and they came to a conclusion that by this, by the age of seven, your money behaviors and habits have already been formed. Wow, and they're set. So. You, one could argue that personal finance education and all that stuff as adults is pointless. I don't think it's pointless, but it is really, really hard to change somebody's behaviors, right? Yeah. So, so so teaching somebody how to do X, Y, and Z when it comes to their own money is, is temporary and beneficial. Um, but in the very short term, You have to be able to address your psychology and deep rooted stuff in order to change your behavior long term.
0: Yeah. I'm just thinking as the mother of a six and a half year old, (laughs) my window's closing. But you know, it's interesting because, and I know you have two small girls, but they're much younger. How old are your daughters?
1: I have a I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old.
0: Okay. So you still got a, a much bigger window than I have in terms of those formative years of establishing an attitude towards money. But my daughter is six and a half and she recently had um, received some money as a gift and she wanted to spend it. And so, you know, I, I try to talk to her about, you know, you can save it, you can spend it, but once you spend it, it's gone. You know, and she's confused because when she gets change back at a store, she thinks she's making money because they're giving her money back. I'm like, well, but you spent money, so they're giving you less money back than you gave them. And it's just interesting. And I I remember as a kid, I had saved up my allowance and I purchased uh, Nickelodeon Gak. It's basically like the '90s version of what people make now that's called slime. And I think it was like $14. And I remember having buyer's remorse so badly because I had worked so hard to save that money. Um, and I had like, it was like in dollar bills, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paying at Pomida, the the store that I bought it at in dollar bills. And I, I'm still someone who's like pretty slow to pull a trigger on like something I really want. I think about it a lot. I. I don't give myself a lot of nice things because I am worried that I'm going to regret that investment or that purchase. And I wonder if it's from, you know, 1991 when I (laughs) saved up all my money and spent it all on Nickelodeon GAC. So I think that's interesting. Um, And as a parent, especially, you know, you think about like, what are the things you're maybe saying in front of your kids? Like, I know I've said in front of my daughter several times, well, we can't do that. It's too expensive or You know, mommy needs to save money if we want to go to Disney World or something like that. And so the messaging, you know, in all areas of of life that that we communicate to our kids is going to have an impact. So I think it's interesting um, to think about it as it relates to financial health and well-being, because I I do believe that there's still this belief system that nothing from you know childhood really matters around that like unless there is an extreme situation like extreme poverty right or extreme abundance but most people don't live in those extremes right um and so it's like for people who you know are raising kids and and money is stressful but maybe not on one of those extreme ends of the spectrum it's like what you're saying and how you're um modeling behavior around money does make a difference So let's talk a little bit about the people that you're meeting as adults now. And can you think of examples of where you've had aha moments with them um, when you're doing maybe a one-on-one session where it's like, oh, something from childhood did kind of come out and it's affecting their attitude around money?
1: Yeah. So it goes beyond the money scripts, right? So it's like, hey, my mom said this about money or my mom said it was too expensive or too cheap or we can't buy it because we need to save for this. Like that's important. Um, But there's a reason why that's being said. And I think the the deeper reason is important, right? So it's important to understand what that is. So for example, a person I was working with and this person was scared of looking at their bank account. Okay. And that... Fear was also prevalent in other areas in life. When it came to taking advantage of things at work, um, his dating relationship, like putting himself out there, mm-hmm. um, just a a handful of things that that had a common denominator of fear and hesitancy. Right to include like looking at his bank account. And so I I talked to him pretty, pretty deeply, asked him a lot of questions. I barely did any talking, asked him a lot of questions. And one of the first questions I asked was, what, who in your life had a very similar fear disposition as what you do, as what you have? Mm -hmm. So your natural tendency is to be scared or fearful. Who else in your life is that way? And, um, after talking and digging through his, his uh, history a little bit, it turns out it was his mother. So his mother had uh unstable job situation, right? She was, she had a job. She didn't have a job back and forth, back and forth. Same situation with her housing. It's like never owned a house, lived in a house, got kicked out, had to live in a different house, got kicked out. And then her marriage and her relationship was also like back and forth, back and forth. All while she was raising him. Right. And so he saw that. It's, this has nothing to do with money, or maybe a little bit, but like for the most part, it has just everything to do with life. And so he he saw that. And as a child, between when he was younger, made an agreement, not like a handshake agreement, but it was like a subconscious mental agreement that I'm gonna be like my mother one day. Or whatever she's doing is what I'm going to adopt as a norm in my life. And so, you know, I, I had him compare her life and like why she was scared and trying to rationalize whether that fear was justified or not. And then take you looking at his life pension from the army, has a stable job, has a really good community of friends and, and family in his area. And so, him being fearful wasn't because of something similar to what his mom had. He was being fearful because he adopted it and had an agreement with it and carried it into adulthood. Mm -hmm. And so once he realized that his life situation was vastly different than his mother's who had somewhat of a reason to be fearful, Mm -hmm. um, he was able to like come to an aha moment and go, I really consciously, I really don't need to be scared about this. I'm, I really am, am fearful for no reason. Yeah. And so that's not my conclusion for him. It was his own self identifying conclusion, sure. which is w- way more powerful than me telling him what's wrong with him.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just you helped him connect the dots on some self-awareness that,
1: yep. that and was so missing. once he, once he did that, I mean, his savings, Monthly savings rate went from 500 to $2,300 a month. He's thriving in his work. He is thriving in his community. He now has another stream of income that's coming in. So like all these things have happened because that wall of fear has come down. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with like, oh, my mom didn't talk to me about money or she thought I was scared or this or that. That has a little bit to do with it. But like the underlying trauma as to like, for example, like there are, there are reactions I will have if my daughter was screaming in the house. I, I hate screaming, I hate loud noises. So my daughter will do that and then I'll have a reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And that reaction is like yelling at her and saying, you should stop yelling or whatever. But but that natural that the first thing that comes out of my body or my mouth is is all it's all deeply rooted. And yeah. it's not like it's not my subconscious, my my conscious thinking. Yeah, oh, I need to do this. You're not necessarily one,
0: reacting to what's happening in that present moment. That's just a trigger I, to what's because, going
1: on. Because once yeah. I do it, I go, "Man, my logical thinking brain turns on and go, ah, I shouldn't have done that." Right? Yeah, and we all, all, we all mess up as parents, right? But, um, <laughs> but, but your first reaction is subconscious, right? That's it's from your subconscious root, and um, same thing with money, so. Um, so that was my aha moment. Long answer to your question, but that was uh that's an example of yeah,
0: no, that's, that's great. Happened. How would you compare the work you do to that of a traditional financial advisor or fiduciary?
1: Yeah, so um I'm a financial wellness educator. Okay. Right. So now I work with corporations. I don't do one-on-one anymore. Um, just recently transitioned from that. So recently transitioned from B2C to B2B. Um, but I look at financial advisors. I think one of the questions you should ask is how do they make money? And they make money when you give them money. Mm-hmm. If you don't have money, they can't make money off of you. Right. Right. And so I look at them as a backdoor finance, right? Um, what we do as Educators and money coaches is we work on the front end and work on the daily spending, the foundational things that you need in order to get to a point where you do have money to give to these advisors, where mm-hmm. they can actually help grow that money, right? But yeah. but the, you can't get to that position until you have like consistent cash flow and a pot of money to work with. So yeah, that is the biggest difference. Is they work on growing your money and we help you like build a foundation so you could have the cash flow to grow your money. Right. And so yeah. we're like step one, there's step two.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing I've noticed when you post on social media is that you do target six figure earners. And so I think there's maybe a common misconception that the more money you have, the less financial worries you have, right. Because everyone wants more money. You know, mm-hmm. if I had more money, I could do this, this and that, and I, you know, could pay off my debt, and I wouldn't have stress. But how about you dispel that that misconception? Because I, I really feel like that's just not accurate information.
1: Yeah. So back to when I was doing B two C, uh, I did target six figure earners. Uh, there's like a huge market in the six figure community that really struggle with money, live paycheck to paycheck, have recurring debt. Um, it's it's not. It has nothing to do with how much money you have, because if you don't have your emotional state, correct. If you don't have your money psychology um, in a healthy state, uh, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You're going to blow it all. Right. Right. And so um, the money is not, the amount of money is not really in the equation. It's not in the formula. Um, What needs to change is, is, uh, is the psychology and like, the underlying behaviors behind behind it, because if you take somebody that is like really terrible with money at thirty thousand dollars a year, and you give them fifty thousand bucks, or hundred thousand dollars, or eighty thousand, or one hundred eighty thousand dollars, or whatever, uh, they're going to blow it all again, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so uh, making more money does not mean you're better with money, and making more money doesn't mean you're going to be better with money. Um, yeah, it's just uh, those behaviors. If 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 it's not fixed, it's it's going to be ruined.
0: When you were working, with, you know, B to C, did you have a lot of individuals who kind of were like, "If I can just make more or save more, everything, all my problems will go away, or things will improve"? And then you came in to help them connect the dots. On that's that's actually not what we're what we're here to talk about.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I want them to save more. I want them to pay down debt because that is a very tangible thing that you could see. That is something like you could see right there. Like I'm bringing down all of my debt or I'm able to save more. So that is a, that's a good thing, but without understanding your psychology and why you behave the way you do when it comes to money or what triggers you have when it comes to money. And until you understand all that and some of the some of the barriers that you have mentally that's preventing you from actually progressing forward and seeing the future clearly. Um, having extra cash flow is not going to do anything, which is why it's so important to address both the psychology of money and the practical side of money together. Because if you do both separately, I don't think it's going to work. Yeah. Because if you if you if you address psychology and go, Hey, Johanna, this is what you're struggling with. Um, this is, these are some of the mental barriers that's like really preventing you from progressing forward and paying down your debt. But if you're not paying down your debt while you're going through that, then your debt's skyrocketing and you're just digging yourself a hole, right? Right, right. But Then if you don't, if you don't address the psychology and you just address the practical side of money, then I'm treating you like a robot.
0: Right, right. I'm
1: going to, I'm going to tie your hands and force you to like not spend money. So that way you could bring down that debt. But then the second you bring down that debt, what happens? you go back to your your old self again, right? Which is yeah. why 90 to 95% of diets fail, right? Right, because yeah. The, the method of approaching dieting is restriction, um, deficit in order to get down to a certain weight or whatever you're trying to do, right? But then if you have deprived yourself for so long, you're gonna go back to what you're used to. I mean, that's just... natural human tendency
0: and i think that like i like that you made the connection between someone who might be looking to lose weight or improve their diet uh because that's a behavior change that's a lifestyle change and money is is in the same you know category as a lifestyle change behavior change Um, there's attitudes around money just like there's attitudes around your physical health and so when you think about all of the different dimensions of well-being financial well-being is one of them and you know we all have financial well-being or maybe lack thereof um it's definitely a universal stressor i think that that's one of the reasons why workplaces and organizations have shifted towards you know Tools and resources for their team members to address this, and so that's kind of what I want to talk about next. Is when you're working business to business or B two B, what are some of the things that you're doing? What are some of the services you're providing, and how have employer groups leveraged your expertise um, to help their their team members?
1: Yeah, our our most recent uh, contract, or I, I guess kind of not contract, but partnership with a with a company has been to. Um, Give them a like a virtual platform that they can go through that on their own. Um, when it comes to addressing uh, the psychology of money, their own psychology and the blueprint that I was able to put together that way, they could like identify their own own barriers along with the practical side of money. But then, like the underlying all that is like how to build good habits, how to um, like take ownership of your life. What are some like really good? Uh, like mindset tools that you could apply to your own life. So you could actually elevate all of those things that you just learned. Now, the employees don't have to take advantage of it, um, but they have the option to. I think that option is really, really valuable and really important because a lot of companies right now do not even offer something as comprehensive and holistic as this. Um, because everything that's... A lot of the stuff that's out there—I mean, 99% of social media advice when it comes to finances is spend less than you make. Here's a savings hack. Make sure you match your 401k. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff is like good; it's good in nature, but it doesn't really address a lot of the problems um, as to why people are stressed with money these days. Right. right. And so I have a different approach to this. Is under is is approaching it from a, a more holistic viewpoint versus versus treating people like robots. And so, so, that is is what we provide to uh, employees uh, through their employer, and um, I, I believe the the in person interaction is also very very valuable. So on a quarterly basis, we come in and do workshops with with uh, with their folks, and they're able to ask any questions that they want, and we're able to kind of you know bring bring life back into bring some extra juice back into their life that way they could be uh, less stressed about money which is which is the ultimate goal here
0: yeah no I think that's great I think employer groups you know want to find solutions to provide you know to their team members that will help them enhance overall quality of life right and financial well-being is something that will enhance your overall quality of life um and you know for a long long time because I've I've been working in the field of worksite wellness now for almost 20 years. And I've seen some big shifts over the course of, you know, the two decades that I've been in the field. And, you know, so one that I can really think of is mental health, right. Mental health is being much more widely embraced and it's, you know, being talked about. I mean, there's still a lot of room for growth in that area, Uh, but it's definitely, you know, being talked about now. And it wasn't when I was in college, like when I was doing my coursework to become a, you know health promotion professional it was mostly the physical stuff you know it was exercise it was nutrition it was tobacco cessation and you know the the other things you know the importance of connection you know your social well-being your financial well-being your emotional well-being those things were kind of afterthoughts um and and they no longer are and so i think it's good that you know, you are providing a solution to workplaces so that they can think differently about how they can bring resources to their team members. And yeah, the team members don't have to participate. They're not forced to, but it gives them an option beyond the traditional, you know, have you considered, you know, making sure that, you know, you're getting the 401k match, or these are your life and disability policies. And, you know, in an unfortunate event, this is what you might want to invest in. I think those Those types of resources check the boxes, you know, the very basic bare minimum boxes. But something like this is is really cool. Um, Can you just give an example of when you do go in for those quarterly workshops, like, is it, um, are they themed? Is there a theme for the quarter or the workshop? And then kind of questions come out of that. Or do you go in with just kind of a general open forum Q&A type uh, setting?
1: Yeah, I think the theme is really important. I think structure is important. Uh, there's if you don't know what to talk about, um, if you don't know, you can't. You don't. You can't ask for it. And so it's important for us to actually come in and actually have a theme around something, right? So whether it's um, helping people understand psych- their money psychology, um, whether it's a budgeting class, whether it's like a uh, educational only like investing one-on-one class, um, whether it's Here's how to like let's let's do let's let's talk about um setting goals and how to achieve them, but do it mm-hmm. strategically for each person, right? Whether it's hey, I want to stay in my job forever, or, I want to leave my job, or I want to do this for my family or that for my family. I believe it's really important to have those conversations instead of just coming to work and like being confused on on everything. Right. right? So so I have those themes, but then um part of that is like it's a very um it's a very engaging conversation. And, and, and at the end of it, uh, there's an open Q and a with, with whatever people want to ask.
0: Yeah. And you deliver these in person virtually.
1: Uh, Right now, right now it's in person, but as we continue to grow, um, there might be virtual options depending on scheduling conflicts and stuff like that. But, but the in-person is something that we want to prioritize because it's, it's just so important to like, get in front of people's faces right
0: well and it's just it goes back to what i just said a few moments ago is that the power of connection right and so when you're in person and you're bringing people together i think you can sometimes convey a different message or you know as someone who facilitates wellness trainings um, it is hard to read your room when they're virtual and i think people Um, aren't always as present. And, you know, that's, that's a known fact, you know, when someone's attending something via zoom, they're more likely to be somewhere else, maybe in their head or even physically somewhere else um, with their camera off and, you know, in the session, but um, that's great. Do you find, are you working kind of across all types of industries um, or is there a target type of industry or population employer group that you find the most success with?
1: Uh, This is something that we just pivoted to. So I don't have the answer to everything. Um, But when it comes to industry, um, people struggle all across the board. Yeah. Right. Regardless of industry. I've I've had clients when I was doing B2C that were literally across all industries and the same problem persists. The numbers are staggering. It's 75% of Americans identify money stress as their number one stressor. Yeah. across the board, right? Yeah. So that's on a macro level, but on a, on a micro level, okay, what about this company? I don't have the answer to that. Right. Plus, plus the data is not really there because not everybody is going to reveal that, right?
0: Right. But I mean, so- if 75% of Americans are reporting that financial stress is their number one stressor, then safe to say that in most organizations, most employees <laughs> have financial stress. And then the other thing is that you know, financial stress causes a lot of stress in relationships. And so like you cited, your parents didn't always agree on things and money was one of them. And so, um, you know, thinking through a lot of the reasons that conflict comes up in relationships, um, you know, and especially like when people are raising children, um, financial stress could definitely be one of them. And then if you have individuals that don't really understand, or they lack that self-awareness about maybe why they have certain attitudes towards money, um, and they're coming in with very different life experiences or similar life experiences, but different attitudes, then it's just kind of a recipe for conflict. And, um, So just like, you know, I always say, like, just like you might need a personal trainer to help you establish a lifting plan, um, Mm -hmm. because you don't know how to use the machines, or you don't know what days you should do which body part, it's okay to ask for help in the financial space as well. So, well, this is fascinating. Anything else you want to share? I do want you to share how people can connect with you or how organizations can connect with you. And I'll include that information in the show notes. Um, But any kind of last words or anything else you want to share with our listeners before we sign off?
1: no this was a this was a great conversation, and um this approach and angle when it comes to money conversations is is much needed and I've lived through my own struggles in life and my own valleys in life to to have you know come to an awareness when it comes to this yeah. so i'm I'm really grateful for that, and I just I can't unsee what I see now so um and and the success that we've had on an individual level when we were B two C has been tremendous, and so that that same approach is just being done through the corporate route, but then the end deliverable is going to be the same. Sure. Uh, if if the end user uses it, yeah, um, accordingly. So, yeah. but yeah, so it's how
0: been, can people it's, connect with you, Dave?
1: Yeah, so my LinkedIn is super active. Uh, Dave Wan W O N on LinkedIn. Um, and my, my website is budgetcaptain.co.
0: All right. I will link those in the show notes. And yes, you are very active on LinkedIn. I see your content frequently and, um, it's a lot of good stuff. It's very thought provoking and, um, you're a good storyteller on LinkedIn. So I think that's what kind of captured my initial interest and how I noticed you. So, um, so good to have you on the podcast and I will include all this information in the show notes. So businesses can connect with you to uh, perhaps help their, their team members have that self-awareness that we were talking about to lead to, um, you know, different decisions and different attitudes around financial wellness. So thank you so much, Dave.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Joanna.
0: Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunlevy and produced by Casey Johnson.